Thank you. Open your, open your Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. Next week, we'll look at the second chapter as we look at a couple of messages on this great season of the year. And uh, I want to talk with you uh, uh, about, on a subject that came about this way, I wanted to mention as well, and if you're watching online, we're glad you're watching here. And those who are live or on the radio, I hope you'll really lean in and listen well. But Christmas Eve services are at 2, 4, and 6, and we'll do all the social distancing and things that we need to do. But we'll also take the Lord's Supper that day, and we'll have the little communion packets, and then uh, I'll, I'll hand some of those out. We'll have some folks who hand them out next Sunday afternoon, or your life group teacher, if you're in a life group, will help with that as well. So let's open our Bibles now to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. We're going to read, uh, beginning with verse 18, as we talk on the subject, it came about this way. Matthew, chapter 1, verse 18. The Bible says, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. I love the story of Christmas, and I want us to note five lessons to learn from Christmas, from this great Christmas story. And I just want to encourage you to write down some notes on the back of your worship guide. If you're online, just uh, write these down. If you're on the radio and not driving, you can write these down, these five principles together as we talk about the lessons God wants us to learn from Christmas. And here's the first lesson I want you to note. God came to us. God came to us. The Bible tells us, uh, verse 18 says, the birth of Jesus came about this way after his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph. It was discovered that before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Now, the Bible tells us that God came to us. We didn't come to God. We didn't come to God. He came to us. In fact, we couldn't come to God, and he had to come to us. Mankind has tried forever to reach God. We've tried to reach up to God. And we've done it in a lot of ways. I just want to mention two of those ways. One way we try to reach God is religion. Now, rightly understand, understood, religion is a good thing. It's our, it's our response to our faith in the Lord. But wrongly understood, it becomes the replacement for what God wants, which is, which is a relationship with Him. And for many people, they've just been religious, and they say, That's, I'm going to reach God by being religious. I'm going to reach God through my religion. I'll do the right things when I'm supposed to do them. I'll be baptized. I'll stand when I'm supposed to stand. I'll sit when I'm supposed to sit. I'll listen to that guy talk. Why do they talk so long in the services? But I'm going to listen to him halfway, kind of halfway listen. And, and so religion, for many people, that's just, that's just the way of trying to reach God unsuccessfully. But it's a very, very common story. 
I'm going to do these religious activities as a means by which I am going to reach up to God. And how can I, how can I come into God's presence? How can I know Him? I can, I'll just be religious. The second way people try it is to be good. I'm all for being good. I like being good as opposed to being bad. I prefer good people to bad people. Having said that, if the question is, how, do I, how good do I have to be to reach God? The Bible gives us an answer. And the problem is, we won't like the answer very much. Because it would take perfection. God is holy, not just partly holy, but absolutely holy. And how could we come into His presence? Because we are reminded, you, can, you see this in the Bible, but you know this from your own life. We've all sinned. We all come short of the glory of God. We're all broken. We've all messed up. We've all failed. But many people are trying to reach God by goodness, and they say, I'm going to work hard enough. I'll do enough good things. I'll reform my way to somehow reach God. And the Bible reminds us that none of us can reach that. It's sort of, are Legos still a thing? Do the kids still get Legos for Christmas? It's a great Legos are great. I know it's not like virtual reality or something. I know I mean, it's not a game. I get, but it's, you know, I'm still kind of old school on those things. And Legos are just, let's imagine you decided you're going to build a Lego, just like build a skyscraper Lego. They make Legos in all kinds of things now. I mean, you have like Lego worlds and Lego stores. And they have people who, who have a full-time job making Lego designs. If you're you know, aspiring to some great career in the future. Maybe, maybe that could be you someday. <laughs> I don't know. It just, I mean, that's great. That's for you. Great. It just, uh... so let's say you decide though, you're not going to build whatever it is, the Liberty Bell or something out of it. You're going to build a, just all the way to heaven. You're going to build Legos, one on top of another. You get the little Legos, you know, you snap one top of the other, on top of the other, and you keep going, and you keep going, and you keep going, and finally you have to get a ladder, and then you have to get a bigger ladder, and maybe, I mean, maybe you can do better than someone else, but you're ultimately you're going to fail because there's an enemy working against you called gravity, and it's just the slightest little bit of a lean, and this, and the gravity is going to take over, and that enemy is going to defeat your attempt to reach those Legos to heaven. And no matter how hard you try, no matter how religious you are, no matter how good you are, and maybe you'll be better than someone else. Maybe you'll work harder than someone else. Maybe you'll be kinder than someone else. But ultimately, there's an enemy working against you, and that's the enemy of sin. And all of us are separated God, from God by sin. All of us are broken in this world. Do you think that's just, that's just me? I'm, I'm, that's just me. No, the people sitting around you are broken they've sinned, they've fallen short. None of us can reach that standard. So the Bible tells us God came to us. We couldn't reach Him. He came to us. And God sent Jesus to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Jesus came into this world for us. Jesus came. He did for us what we couldn't do. We couldn't reach Him. He reached down to us. We could work our way to God, but He did for us what we couldn't do, and Jesus came to us. He lived the perfect life. None of us can live the perfect life. We've all sinned. We're born with a bent towards sinning. We all choose to sin. We make wrong choices in actions and in attitudes, and we've all lived imperfect lives, and He lived the perfect life that none of us could live. 
He died in our place. Were we to die on a cross, it would be for our own sins. Jesus was the substitute for us on that cross. He took our sins on the cross, and he died in our place. And Jesus rose from the dead. Death is the great enemy. We're separated from God by, by our sins, and sin leads to death. But Jesus conquered death, and he conquered hell when he rose from the grave, and we are reminded of the empty tomb. And Jesus will return one day, just as he came to us in Bethlehem and then ascended back to the Father. He's going to come again to receive those of us who know him as Savior. And we can meet him either through death or in the air, but he will return one day. God came to us. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. God came to us. There's a second lesson I want you to learn from this the story of Christmas. God accomplishes his work through people. God could do everything he does without us, but God accomplishes his work through people. Surprising people sometimes. The Bible tells us here in verses 18 about Mary. She's not famous or powerful. She lives in a broken world. She's broken. We sometimes almost mythologize the story of Mary, but Mary was a human like we are. The Bible tells us about Joseph. Joseph was not rich. He was not famous. He was not politically connected. He was a carpenter. But when God broke into this world, he, he used this man Joseph. Or this story is written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by a guy named Matthew, who was a tax collector. You would never pick a tax collector as the means of hearing the message of the birth of Jesus. He was working for the enemy, the Roman government. God uses surprising people like Mary and Joseph and Matthew and you and me while we're at it. It's surprising that God would use people like us because we are broken. We, are, we have fallen short. We have failed. We have made promises we didn't keep and gone our own way. And all of us are broken. The best among us broken. God uses surprising people. But I want you to know that God uses willing people. Notice what the Bible says in verse 19. So her husband Joseph being a righteous man. Now this is not saying that Joseph was sinless, but he was a righteous man. That means he cared about right living. He was trying to follow God's purpose and God's plan. He was trying to do what God wanted him to do. And so he wanted to obey God and to follow God, to have the right spirit in his heart, to have the right actions in his life. And not only was he a righteous man, but the Bible says he was a compassionate, even forgiving man. Not wanting to, dis to disgrace her publicly, the Bible says, he decided to divorce her secretly. You can imagine, of course, the sort of pain that he felt. He finds out that the woman he's engaged to is expecting, and he's not the father. And you can imagine a little, perhaps, of the hurt and the pain and the betrayal that he felt, and yet he's compassionate enough, he's forgiving enough, not wanting to disgrace her publicly. He's going to divorce her secretly. And he's thinking about someone other than himself, and he's pain and he's hurt. You know, when we're hurting, hurt, hurting people tend to hurt others. Have you noticed that? Hurting people tend to hurt others. And instead of lashing out in his pain, which is so common, he responds with, compassion and forgiveness. He's a righteous man. 
And God wants to use a, a man like him, but he's a man. Listen, he's a person like you are a person. He's a, he's a man who will need a Savior like you will need a Savior. This season of the year, we emphasize the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Uh, it's an offering that we give to the International Mission Board. All of it goes to missions and to spread the good news of the gospel. Lottie Moon is the name of a missionary to China from generations ago. And, and in honor of her great life of sacrifice and service, we call it the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And we give that, and the world mission offering we give, we don't keep that. We give our tithes and offerings to our church budget. That's the means by which we do the ministries here. But we give above and beyond that. My wife and I will give above and beyond that to these mission opportunities. And we're grateful for it. And we do it also because we know it's the kind of a Christmas gift to the world. And we have personal connections. Some of you know James and Sonia Heron, who are from our church, who serve with the International Mission Board in Uganda. Or Austin Lee, who's uh, serving... Uh, for three years there in Uganda or with some other families who are connected to our church where their church home or serving in the Middle East, a young family who's very soon going to go to a very hard place in the Middle East to serve as missionaries, and we support them and encourage them. But we have a tendency to think, you know, missionaries are like, they're not like us. They're not like us. I mean, they're just some sort of like, maybe some sort of superhero, you know. Maybe they just, they hide their cape when they come to church or something, but they're like superhuman and we do a disservice because God in heaven uses surprising people. And God uses willing people. And there's some of you here who God wants to use you. God would do great things through your life. God is able to accomplish everything he wants to do in this world through someone just like you. But until you're willing, until you're willing, there's a third principle I want you to note. And that is God asks us to trust him in his plan. God asks us to trust him in his plan. So God asks a big thing of Joseph. Verse 20 says this, but after he had considered these things, these things being the most shocking moment perhaps of Joseph's entire life, the woman he thought he knew, the girl he was going to marry, she's expecting a child that's not his. I mean, you, you can sort of imagine how catastrophic this would have felt to a man like Joseph. After he had considered these things, I'm going to just, I'm so embarrassed, I'm so ashamed, I'm so hurt, but I'm going to just divorce her secretly. I'm, just, I'm, not, going to, I'm not going to disgrace her publicly. After he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. Which, by the way, I think God put it just for our generation, don't be afraid. This is the fearful generation. This is the year of fear. And the Lord wants us to live by faith and not by fear. He talks about that very often in his word. We don't even have to live in fear of death, thankfully. We're, we want to be wise. We want to be thoughtful. We want to care. We want to think of others. But we do not live by fear. He says, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because, boy, this is a big thing. What has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. From the Holy Spirit. This is a big thing. Can you imagine how this must have felt? God is saying, Joseph, I want you to trust me and my plan for your life. I want you to trust me in this most difficult moment you've ever faced, in the greatest challenge of your life. Some of you are in the biggest challenge of your life, and you're wondering if you can trust God. At this most important moment, can I trust God, this biggest moment of life? 
when I was a teenager, I, though I had trusted Christ for my salvation. I'd given my life to Christ. And I trusted him for eternity, but I didn't want to trust him with tomorrow. And I knew God was saying, I want you to, I want you to trust me with everything, with your whole life and future, and I want a blank check. I mean, in effect, that's what God is saying to us. I want a blank check on your life, on your future. And I wanted to know how much. I mean, if, we're gonna, if it's a check, how big? How much can I keep for myself? And God is saying, no, I want a blank check. I want it all, every bit of it. I want your dreams, your hopes, your plans, your future. I want you to trust me, and I want you to trust my plan. I want you to trust me for relationships. I want you to trust me for careers. I want you to trust me everything. I always wanted to, I wanted to hold things back. I wanted to, I'll trust you with all of these things, God, but I want these things. I mean, that seemed like a, seemed like a lot to ask. Everything? Everything? Just follow you? You're not even going to tell me in advance all the twists and turns along the way? You just say, follow me? That's what the Lord was asking of Joseph. And can I tell you, that's what the Lord asks of you. And he's saying to you, I want you to trust me in my plan. Not you in your plan, but me in my plan. Because can I tell you, God's going to ask some big things of you. And if you think you're okay without God and you're just going to trust yourself, all right, have at it. Welcome to the way of the world. But what if God knows better? And what if God wants better? And what if you can trust God instead of yourself and his plan instead of your plan? And wouldn't you just say, God, all right, I don't know where the twists and turns lead. I don't know all of what that entails. All right, I'm following you. I'm following you. Blank check. How, wait a second. How much again, God? How much? You, no, no, no. Blank check. How much of my life you want? Everything. Everything. And I tell you, you can trust God with everything. All of it. Every part of your life. Every part of your future. Every part of your plans because you can trust Him. There's a fourth lesson I want you to learn from the story of Christmas, and that is God meets our deepest need. God meets our deepest need. The Bible says in verse 21, she, the angel says, she will give birth to a son and you're to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place, verse 22 says, all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And he's going to quote here from the prophet Isaiah. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. God is concerned about meeting your deepest need, salvation and relationship. We need salvation. The Bible says, Joseph, you're to name your son Jesus, which means the Lord saves, because he will save his people from their sins. Because God knows the greatest need we have is salvation. We don't just need to reform. We need to be reborn. We don't just need to try harder. We need a new life in Christ. We don't need just religion. We need a relationship with God that comes by knowing him as our Savior. The Bible tells us we need to be saved because we are lost in our sins. We are separated from God by our sins, and only Jesus can save us. And I'm going to ask you in a few moments, whether you're here in person or online or listening to the radio later, to give your life to Christ and to trust him for salvation. 
to repent of your sins, to place your faith in Jesus, that he died for you and rose from the grave for you, and to receive him as Savior. I'm going to ask you to do that in a few moments. And it's the deepest need of your life. And if you miss that, you miss everything. You miss the pearl of great price. You, you miss the greatest treasure of life and eternity. But it's not just salvation that's our need, but also relationship. He's called here in verse 23, which, by the way, the Lord has planned for the coming of Jesus since he formed and created the world all, all those centuries ago. Centuries before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah said, You're going, the son is going to come and we're going to name him, you're to name him Emmanuel, which is God is with us. That's who he is. And it's speaking about this relationship we can have with God. God wants a relationship with you, not just distant and far removed, but God with us right here, close and connected and knowing us. God wants that relationship with you. So I've um, been following the progress of one of my old seminary professors. He's, I say he's old. I mean, he's in his mid-80s. I guess that qualifies as older. Now, anyone older than me is old, as I say, and younger than me, they're young, and he's, he's definitely on the old side. So his name's Dr. McDowell. Years ago, he preached here a few times for us, and just a dear friend and a great professor from my seminary days. So he's, um, you know, he's, his mind's still just as sharp as it's ever been, and, and just, he's, he's got a sharp mind. But his body's getting frailer, and he got COVID, and so he went to the hospital for several days, and he's doing better now, and just delighted to say. And so a group of us are in a group, in a group text, a bunch of his former students were pastors around the country and such now. And we were praying for Dr. McDowell and kind of, you know, keeping on updates, and he's there in the Fort Worth area, and so one of my friends that's a pastor in that area, you know, kind of kept up well with all the details of what was happening. And so just the other day, and he's doing better now, and, and, and if he hasn't come home yesterday, he will very soon, it looks like. So uh, he asked, he made a prayer request of us, you know, all the group texts that annoy you so much because they ding and ding and ding. Well, he asked a, a request of us. Can you guess what his prayer request was? It was for him to have the opportunity to share the gospel with his doctor to share the gospel with his doctor. And he asked us to pray that way. He said, I'm, would you, would you, the only thing he asked of us, I mean, I'm, he wanted us to pray for his health. I'm, but the only thing he asked of us, would you pray that I have an opportunity to share the gospel with my doctor? Because he apparently believed there's something bigger than health. He said, I'm all for your health. I want you to have great health. But there's something more important. I want you to do well financially great. But there's something more important than that. I want you to have great relationships. I want you to be blessed in your relationships, but there's something bigger than that. And so my old seminary professor reminded me people need to be saved. They need Christ. They need forgiveness. They need new life. They need a rebirth. They need to be, to be adopted into God's family. And, and if they miss that, they're missing the greatest thing. And so in his mid-80s, that's what's on his heart. That's what's on his soul. That's what's on his mind. Because God meets our deepest needs. Our deepest needs. And whatever it is you thought, this is, boy, this is what I'm chasing so hard after this because this is what matters most, pales in comparison to what God wants for you. There's a fifth thing I want, I want you to know. Faith and obedience make all the difference. Would you just write that down? Faith and obedience make all the difference. And sometimes the most profound things 
happen in the simplest ways. We almost miss them because they're so simple. Would you go with me, please, to verse 24? The Bible says, when Joseph woke up, man, what a dream that had been. I don't know what your dream was last night, but that was quite a dream. I mean, the angel saying this biggest moment, you thought the most ruinous moment of your life, the biggest pain and hurt and worry and fear. I'm in that. I didn't, I didn't leave you in this. And I'm going to ask you to do the biggest thing I've ever asked of you to trust me as never before. And to note what I'm doing in this world through you. And so the Bible says when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. That is so simple, but I'm telling you it is so profound. He did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He obeyed God on this big, big thing God asked of him. He did. It's unbelievable. We say, God, I know what you want, but I know what you say, but I know what I ought to do. But, and the Bible says about Joseph, he did. God in heaven wants you to do. And there is a power to faith and obedience that makes all the difference. Faith and obedience make all the difference in our lives. All the difference in what we do and what we become and the difference that we make. And this profound thing, so simple, he did. And I want to ask that of you this Christmas season. God, I want to do what you say. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? And I want to ask you two things. First, I want to say a word to those of you who don't know that you've ever trusted Christ as Savior. Maybe you're listening online. I prayed this morning someone online would give their life to Christ. And I'm going to ask you if you're listening online and you need Christ as Savior to give your life to Christ today. Someone listening on the radio later, would you give your life to Christ? Some of you right here in this worship center today, would you give your life to Christ? The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and righteousness. He reminds us that we're sinners who can't save ourselves. We can't work our way up to God. He came to us. He did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Would you today be willing to give your life to Christ, would, to repent of your sin, to place your faith in Jesus, and to receive him as Savior? And if you would do that, I'm going to ask you to pray and give your life to Christ right now. I'm going to lead in a prayer. Now, I hesitated just in, in this sense. Saying words you don't mean won't change anything. But if, you, if you'd like to give your life to Christ, if you're willing today to repent of your sins and place your faith in Christ, you could pray a prayer like this. Just say this to God, dear Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned against you. Just acknowledge that before him. I know I need you. I know I can't work my way up to you. But I believe you did something about my problem. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. You lived the life I couldn't live, that perfect life. And you died in my place on that cross. And I believe you rose from the dead and conquered sin and death on my behalf. And I believe you're able to save me. And I believe you love me. 
because you came into this world for me. And so here and now, I repent of my sin. Just tell him that. I turn from my sin and I place my faith in you. Not in me or my ability, but in you. Not in religion or good works, but in you. And I ask you to save me. And I ask you to save me. And if you mean that, Christ will save you. Christ will save you. And if you do that, we'll rejoice with you. I want to hear from you. If you're here, come tell, tell me that you've given your life to Christ. If you're online, respond back. Let us know. If you're listening on the radio, write to us. Email us. Let us know. We'll, we'll be encouraged by it, and we'll encourage you. Now, for those of you who know Christ as Savior, I want to ask you to trust him enough to obey him. That's what Joseph did all those years ago, to trust God enough to obey him. God, this is a big thing. And God, it's not what I would have expected, but I trust you. And because of that, I want to follow you. I want, I want to give you the blank check on my life, not just part of it, not just, some of my, not just some of my life, but all of it. I want to follow you. Would you say that to God? God, I want to follow you. This Christmas season, because of all you've done for me, because of how much you love me, I want to follow you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of it, the truth of it, for reminding us this, Chris, this Christmas season of who you are and, and what you're about and what you've done and what we can do in response. And so, Lord, would you use this in our lives to make us more of what you want us to be? Would you encourage those who prayed to receive your Savior, who found new life in you? Would you help us to encourage them well? And Father, would you help believers to grow in faith. Help us to follow you, not just to trust you with one day, but to trust you with this day, not just to trust you with eternity, but to trust you with this next year. Uh, and Lord, we pray you be glorified in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.